Man, you guys can grab your seats. So we are in week, let's see, number five of our study in the Sermon on the Mount, where we're looking at the words of Jesus to try and understand what it is to live in the world in a way that a new order and realm is actually breaking into the broken world that we all have been born into. For a very real purpose, Jesus came as the light into the darkness to shed light and to bring revelation, not only of who God is, but the way that things are coming to be through his reconciliation and renewal of the world. He's trying to reset the hearts of humanity, moving us away from a life that's turned in on ourselves of selfishness and self-pursuit and the desire to take that is without us and force it to fill us. Jesus is describing what it's like to live in this world, not as a person who is groping to be filled with things of this world, but what it's like to live out of wholeness, to live in a world that you aren't desperate for the next thing, for something else to make you feel okay, to make it another day. Jesus says that those who are a part of my community, who have given their lives to me, who've invited me into their life and allowed me to become the very building block, the cornerstone of the way that you have mapped your life. To those, there is a new way to live. Jesus is introducing us to uh, a new society. And he's, he's saying like, the kingdom of God is here and it's among you and it's spreading. He's trying to establish his rule and reign in our hearts. And over the last few weeks, he's interacted with anger. The very core of man in our interactions when there's brokenness or there's discord. He actually describes a world where we can dream of a place that our relationships are completely at peace. That there's no undertone of angst or frustration. There's no bitterness that's built over the years. He's, he's describing a world where, where bitterness, anger, hatred, and murder simply are, are of the past. He's describing the kingdom, the coming kingdom, the future reality. Not only that, he goes on to talk about what it's like to to interact with those of the opposite gender. And and instead of looking at the other to take and to consume through objectifying them in lust, but to look at them instead through love and compassion. Jesus is introducing us to a new way of interacting with each other. He's, he's almost giving us a flash of a future reality where you can send your, your, your sons and daughters into the world without a fear of someone preying on them. This is the world where Jesus actually originates and he's bringing heaven here. Not only that, he talks about commitment, fidelity, faithfulness, and he, and he speaks to his community and, tr- and begins to normalize what it's like to to not just look at your spouse as somebody who is here for the moment until you kind of get get to have enough of them and then move on. He speaks of a community that that relationships aren't looking to, to be ended based on exceptions or being rid of challenges. He's describing a place and an eternity that fidelity faithfulness, determination, and dependability, it is the bedrock of our future. This week, he he focuses even more intently upon the internal heart of of humanity and specifically his children and our usage of words. He talks about the, the words that we speak and what we commit to and whether we become a people who are truly trustworthy or not. Or are we people who have hidden agenda where we use our words to accomplish ends that aren't really in alignment with the heart of Jesus. So today we're going to kind of just move around that subject of how do we use our words How do we build trust with one another? How do we become trustworthy? How do we be faithful in the way that we interact with each other? And and to to tell you the truth, uh, this this, uh, talk is going to have no help for you if if you have a heart that is completely absent of Jesus' presence within it. Because Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
it is not so much describing to us how to get to heaven or how to get into the kingdom. In the, in the words of, of John Ortberg, it's more so he is describing how to get heaven into us. How do we start to align our lives to what our future reality is? Because the way we build our lives now is either going to be an asset to you in eternity, or it is going to be something that is absolutely useless in eternity. Some of us are really good at being um, really convincing people and using our words to get what we want. We're really strategic to know how to kind of go around things sideways, and we can kind of just like always work things through to get what we want to happen. Maybe some of you guys know people like this. There's always an angle. They, they say things, and you're like, well, what are you really getting at here? Other of us, we, we uh, kind of just play and use language in a way that's beneficial to us. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's something even more essential to who you are. And there's something that you can actually be building in your life that will accentuate your eternity. So, Let's take a look at the scripture. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to pray, excuse me, and then we're going to dive right in. Does that sound all right? So let's pray. We need God's help. Jesus, please, will you help us to understand your word, your good, true, eternal word. We love you so much. And we ask that your spirit would open our eyes, that your presence would transform our hearts, that your very presence would be here, and that we'd be made new by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's take a look at this uh, verse 33 of Matthew 5. Again, you have heard it said, to those of old you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is a reference that Jesus uh, takes the Old Testament way of building a righteous lifestyle. Even in the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes how the righteousness that is commonplace for those in the community of Jesus should look different than even the most religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and Pharisees, they had a form of righteousness. And so when they read this rule, uh, that they shall not swear falsely, they know that this is a, a, an application of the third command found in Leviticus uh, 20, I believe it is. You got that one, Teresa? Where it says, you shall not take, sorry, Leviticus 19, you shall not swear by the name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. We have in this original context a passage describing the third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Deuteronomy 20 goes into that direct quote. You shall be careful to do what has passed through your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. God is actually saying throughout the history, even the Old Testament, that we are supposed to be faithful to follow through on what we say. Now, in this day and age, it was a verbal or an oral community, right? It wasn't so much a written culture. They were based on oral tradition and oral statements. And so covenants were huge in that day and age. So making a vow to somebody meant something. It's the equivalent of a contract today. It's you stating that you want someone to believe you for what you're entering into, so help you God, so to speak. And so when you were to put yourself into a vow, they understood that, especially if they were to say, hey, I promised to God or Yahweh, which they tried to uh, avoid doing, that they knew that they were called to obey that. However, what happened in their society was that they actually built a almost uh, a permissive system within the vows that were supposed to produce a, a culture where lying was completely out of the question. They built this society that you could vow and then people would believe you, but they were afraid to use the name of God because then they felt extra accountable because when you are using someone else in a vow, it's like, hey, if I don't follow through with this, I'll let him deal with me. 
And so they would avoid using the name of God, and so they would use different things that they would vow by, things that they were loosely connected with heaven or earth or the temple, but not God directly. And then they felt less guilty about breaking their word. And so there was like this graded honesty that became normative. Where it was like, yeah, I swear by God of all creation. That's like one, boom, okay, they're going to do it. Oh, I swear by heaven. Okay, I swear by uh, earth. Uh, I'll take out the trash. Yes, after at the next commercial during the game, babe. I swear by uh, Jerusalem, maybe. We'll see. Or my head. Or not at all. Does that make sense? There was like, yes. Their word wasn't consistent. And so they built a normalized society and system that, that kind of made people expect others to be dishonest with them. And here's the thing, even the most religious built this into their life practice. And so even among the religious people who were supposed to be the most honest and pure, most reflective of God himself, they built this like quasi-honesty, like white lie system, this this culture of distrust and everybody just went along with it? Do you know what I mean? And don't we have things like this in our life? Or there's just this normalized, like, quasi-truthfulness that we are with each other? That we, we go on social media or whatever it may be, see, and we, we see people, like, posting their best life, and we're like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what your life looks like, I'm sure, right? I love those pictures where it shows, like, the background um, and, and some of you guys, you do the, um, the be real. I love that there's two sides of the picture. Some of you are looking at me like you don't know what I'm saying. It's okay. You have to take a picture one direction, and it takes a picture the opposite direction. And I love the app because it shows what's going on in the background of your life. And oftentimes, there's piles of laundry in the background of my life. I don't know if that's true about your life or not. Not because of my wife. I'm the laundry guy. Uh, we, made, we had a good discussion about that this week. Um, and, but, but really, what is it that we're trying to accomplish in life when we kind of come to this agreement where we're all going to compromise on whether we're being truthful or not truthful? Or how much do we really want to know? And so even in the days of Jesus, he comes and says, listen, if you are to be um, a harmonious part of my coming kingdom, if you're going to to learn to thrive in the culture of eternity, you got to stop it with this graded, different level, quasi-corrupt, honesty, vow stuff. Does that make sense? Because Jesus' kingdom really is coming. There really is a people and a place and a king where, where it is normal for people to be ruthlessly and beautifully honest. And that will be our future. And when we, if we are, are not preparing ourselves for that world, we're, we're making the transition between us and our eternal reality bumpy. And so what Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, listen, hey, there's a kingdom that's coming. I want you to know that your practiced skills at being like kind of deceptive and like throwing people off and like projecting images and, and telling stories in a way that's kind of true but kind of not, Th- those skills are going to be about as useful as the yellow pages in eternity, okay? And so honestly, like my heart for us in this whole series is for us to come to terms with the fact that there are mechanisms in our life that we have learned and proliferate that, that are not merely just going to be useless in eternity, right? If everybody's trustworthy, we don't have to angle for stuff. If all of our needs are supplied, we don't need to fight for ourselves. If people are kind to us, we don't need to worry about being angry. Like, yes, there is a reality that we're going to engage in. It's going to make it easier one day. But Jesus is actually inviting us to engage with the beautiful, eternal kingdom today. That you and I are able to get um, wafts and, and moments and, and, and beautiful um, 
moments where we're able to actually experience the kingdom. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament. We see Jesus bringing the kingdom, oftentimes in miraculous ways. And we're like, whoa, that's amazing. But you know what's more often than miraculous ways of like um, someone getting healed and the kingdom coming in, like disease is being overturned? It's when Jesus actually takes time and he, and he speaks to somebody in a genuine, honest way. Or he's at the well with a woman and he decides to be real and honest with her and speak to her heart instead of just either dismissing her or soft-selling her or saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jesus took truth very seriously. His words were intentional and poignant. He wasn't trying to manipulate his listeners. He wasn't trying to to fool people into following him. When the crowds came and wanted to make him king, what did he do? He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got no part in me. And people were like, what? That's not a great sales pitch, Jesus. I don't know if you know how things work here, Jesus, but you're supposed to like woo us to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, I will not tamper with you. I will not mess with you. I will not try and lead you into something and bait and switch with you. You see, I think the teaching that we're looking at today is actually essential for us in this moment in time because so many people in the world today, many of our friends are not here among us or they're not even among the church by and large, even though they have been in the past because they are tired of being messed with, manipulated, and used. So many people have been hurt in the church. And so for us to embody Jesus, that's it. For us to embody Jesus in a way that is good news, without having our own motives, we have to, have to, orient ourselves around Jesus, His kingdom, His ethics, and what is truly in alignment with his heart. Let's take a look at uh, the passage as we we move forward, because Jesus says, um, don't make your commitments, don't make your vows. In verse 34, but I say to you, do not make an oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God, or by the earth, or by its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is basically saying, listen, dude, stop it with the games. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We could go into different areas of how this would play itself out in the courtroom or in the state. But truly, I think Jesus is deconstructing this system of lying. One clear goal, one author that I read, Bruner says, one clear goal of Jesus' command is the dismantling of the whole lying structure of oaths and of oath-taking. At least in the church, as benefits its mission, at length in culture, Jesus' command has the perpetual possibility within it for civil disobedience. I do think that there is a pause for us as the people of Jesus. You know, some people will say, don't take oaths at all. Like there's a a community in the Mennonite community that won't take oaths in church. Um, Other people have taken it very seriously as well. Um, What I think this is, is at least it is the idea that we are supposed to be careful with what we dedicate ourselves to. Be careful with what we dedicate ourselves to. Oftentimes, oaths are taken either in the court of law or they are oaths to give yourselves to a state or a nation. And so as the Christian community, this moment, we need to be ever so aware and critical, and critical in a good way, not in a bad way, but analyzing and assessing what we are dedicating ourselves to. If nothing else, this is a pause. It says, as believers, we don't have the liberty to simply say, my country is my country for better or for worse. We have to analyze 
Is our country walking in the way of Jesus or not? For us to simply blindly give allegiance to something is not part of the kingdom of Jesus. We have to always be wrestling and engaging and questioning and asking, Jesus, is this in alignment with your heart? So I do think it does call us in that regard for pause and consideration. Because we do live in a culture where deception is a large um, moneymaker, to be honest. It's called marketing. Uh, there are huge budgets in companies and organizations trying to convince you you need what you don't really need, possibly sometimes. And there is a culture where we do have to question and kind of analyze, and maybe some of you guys have done some of the work around that to figure out the best cable deal to get. Is it better to just cancel and go with Hulu? Are you with me, right? Because I look at my cable and I'm like, what in the world? But you know, it's just going to migrate to a different way. People are always trying to get, get, get. It shouldn't be that way in the kingdom. Jesus says we're not supposed to use our words to try and get the best of others. We're supposed to be growing in the likeness of him and entrusting ourselves to his ways. For us, it's important that we are firstly, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes, your no, no. We need to be truthful. Painfully truthful. Caring deeply about our words. Is what I'm saying consistent with what I mean? Even this last weekend, um, one of my daughters heard me say something, and um, she eloquently and powerfully let me know that what I said was not consistent with what I had said. And it was like a gut punch. Because I take honesty seriously, you know what I mean? And I had to confess. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You're right. There's an inconsistency there. And I don't want to lose the trust that you have within me, that I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Jesus wants us to be a people who will really walk out our words and not say things without meaning them. And so he invites us to this simplicity, the simplicity of, of not trying to put on a projection to get people to believe what truly isn't there. He allows us to simply go, no, here's what is, for better or for worse, and nothing more, nothing less. You see, there's a simplicity in being straightforward and honest. We need to learn to be uh, truthful, not only with others, but maybe even firstly with ourselves. Truthful with ourselves. We are so good at lying to ourselves deceiving ourselves, allowing ourselves to build narratives that help us survive but are actually pretty divided from what's really true in life. Building stories of how others have hurt us, allowing narratives to drive our interactions, allowing history to excuse behavior that's just not like Jesus. We need to be truthful with ourselves, with God, and with others. This is the heart of God for us, is that we would be able to live lives where we can face and engage and interact with what really is. He goes on to say this, not only are we to be truthful, 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. And then here's a really interesting thing. Anything more than this comes from evil. Leviticus 19 says this, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, There is one who, whose rash words, they're like swords, they're thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, so there's supposed to be something about our words, the way that we use them, that's not supposed to take from other people, but it's supposed to give to other people. As we walk out the way of God, as we live in goodness, as our Father is good, we are supposed to be 
creative with our words. As Ephesians says, like only saying things that are useful for the building up and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. Not letting corrupting talk come out of our mouths. What we're talking about here is manipulation. Jesus says, just say yes or no. Anything that you say beyond yes or no is manipulation. It's coming from a bad space. I love how Willard describes this uh, in his book. He says this, it is simply to, to swear or to try and convince somebody, it is simply a device of manipulation designed to override the judgment and will of the ones that uh, they are focused upon to push them aside rather than to respect them and leaving their decisions and actions strictly up to them. He goes on to say, we are making use of people when we manipulate people. We are trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their will and possess them for our purposes. Whatever consent they give to us, once we convince them, it will be uninformed because we have short-circuited their understanding of what is going on. Simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this is evil or from the evil one or of evil cause. Here's the reality, friends. And this is hard to hard to kind of to pull through pull out, but if we're living out of emptiness instead of wholeness, we are going to be looking in every circumstance to gain something to fill the emptiness within us. We're going to have something in our mind, a plan, a strategy, a hope, an outcome that we desire. And we will be tempted, even in communicating to somebody, doesn't even matter what it is about, we will be attempting to leverage circumstances towards the end of gaining from that person. This is evil. A manipulation is, is the practice of, of using your words or actions to get another person to act in a way that benefits you as opposed to them. This is the opposite of love. And as we've been practicing and understanding the simplicity of Jesus is loving God and others, and so it really runs at the very, really, it runs against the grain of the kingdom of Jesus for us to use our words to manipulate others to gain what we want to gain. And so when we look at this idea of, of saying yes and no, by, by meaning what we say, following through on what we say. We, we need to get good at this. This is the norm in our society is, is the aversion to commitment, right? And so making plans without the intention to following through or having good intentions. I think a lot of people have been hurt probably by me because of good intentions and maybe by you too. Like we want to show up, we want to help, we want to move their house, we want to pack boxes, we want to mow lawns, we want to do all. But if we don't have the integrity or the freedom or energy to actually follow through on it, we're actually really not showing the light of Jesus and we're looking less and less like him. So many of the people that we know and love have been hurt and disappointed. And most people have left, not primarily because of theological differences within churches. It's because relationships have fallen apart. Someone didn't show up. Somebody never called. There is this lack of integrity of actually living out what we say we believe. And so this idea of being truthful and trustworthy we want to be trustworthy, truthful, and pure. 
pure in our interactions with others. Walking with others, sharing what is really going on in life, giving honest feedback, being there when somebody needs you, allowing them to receive the truth of Jesus. And for us to be willing to follow through on what we say we're going to do because it actually builds, it builds a trust that the world desperately needs right now. People need to know that there is a place in a community that will be a safe place for them to come where people will do what they say, say what they do, and there's an honesty and authenticity to it. That's the primary teaching block of what I understand Jesus to be saying, is he's calling a new community to normalize truthfulness and to normalize non-manipulation in conversations where for us to live this out is going to look different in your life and in your life. And this causes a bunch of tension points. And you know that my passion is for us to interact with this in a way that's actually going to go below the forehead, below the shoulders, into the heart, and transform lives. And so we're going to take a few minutes and just discuss how this looks in life, right? Because if Jesus really wants this, then it matters for it to be embodied in our lives. Amen? Okay, so let's take a sec. Some of you are going to talk out loud. It's not that scary. I've been doing it for 32 minutes. And I want us as a community, I really sense this. As I was studying, I could study all this stuff. But what my passion, and there's this void, I'm like, what does this look like for us? And that's where I want to invite the conversation. Does that make sense? All right, so take a sec, shake it out, do whatever you need to do. Like, all right, how have you been thinking about this? Melissa, why don't you join me up here, and we'll, we'll kind of push, push the conversation forward a little bit. I asked Melissa to, to have a starter question to get the conversation going. How, how, how'd that go? Right. I don't know if it's a starter question, but I just wrote down that we need to live out um, with integrity. Well, it says we need to live out and with integrity to walk out what we say we believe. What keeps us, what keeps us from doing it? Yeah? Okay. Did everybody hear that? Um, so I guess my question is, I guess it's for all of us, but I was asking that of myself, like what keeps us from actually doing that? Because I know for me being honest with people when I can't do something, because I really want to do something for everybody, I want to be there for everybody, but I can't. Um, and so for me, I think that's a twofold thing, like being honest about when you can't, but then also being brave and willing to step in when God's calling us to, and so I guess... My question was, um, what keeps us, like, individually from doing that, from actually, because then I think we actually can self-deprecate, too, when we let ourselves down, the people around us down, and so then I just don't do anything. Then I'm, I'm afraid to do all the things, you know, being one God's cause. So, yeah. Mark, I see a hand back there. What stops you from... <laughs> <laughs> from speaking the truth of yeah yeah so the outcome I'm going to say this but I don't know what the response is going to be. Uh, what I heard you saying was uh, there was a fear of saying no. Why? And also, I think just that 
for me at least in the last few years, there's also been a fear of saying yes. Mm. Because I know that I've let people down. So I'm like, well, if I start this or if I start saying yes, people are going to expect it. And then I'm just like, there's this, yeah, fear of failure, fear of failing and hurting people. And I think, I definitely think that God enables us. One, for one, I think um, someone, at Bethany actually, we were, we were praying through some things we had gathered together. And I was praying for my daughter, just feeling that weight of exactly what we're talking about in a lot of ways, like I hold back a lot with my daughter who's not walking with the Lord right now and saying things that in moments that I feel like I should say some things, but I don't because I don't want to hurt her even more than she's already been hurt. But then there's been moments when God's like, I want you to say this. But anyway, I carry this weight since I was praying about God. I just, just I want to fix, I want to do. And she's like, it's, it's not just, it's not just up to you. And so I think that's something too that there are many of us in the body of Christ and many of us in this room. So it's not just up to me to meet everybody's need, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's something God's helping me to understand as well. Um, so you can't just say, okay, and yes to one person and not feel like you have to carry the weight of, of everybody. You're saying yes to even that person's needs all the time. Maybe just that one time, it's okay. Um, you don't have to be the person that they always go to. Yeah. And I think even for me, I've in the past... I felt like I had to be everybody's, like, disciple or everybody's. I was the guy, you know what I mean? And I, it was, I ended up just overcommitting. And I said yes over here and said no to my families, to no to other things. Because a yes is a no to, to something else, right? And so I don't know if, if any of you guys resound with this, but, like, when a situation comes up and you're like, should I or shouldn't I? And then your mind rolls like, is it worth uh, disappointing this person, this person, or not doing this? You know what I mean? That, that's a practice in my mind for sure, and it's never straightforward. It's never straightforward, but maybe even coming out front and being honest of like, hey, so like when I dis- if I'm going to agree to disciple somebody, I'll say, hey, um, I, can, I can meet with you for the next 12 weeks. Um, here's here's what I, I need from you. And recognize that if they're not going to show up with their end of it, then I'm like, okay, this probably isn't working. Why don't you take a break? Let me know when you're ready to dive back in. But just having those expectations out front has been helpful um, and, and truthful. So. Not because we are liars and manipulators. <laughs> Hopefully, it's just because we're just 
we're, we're human and we're going to fail, but then we're honest in those moments and say, yep, you know what? I did do that. I'm so sorry. And I think that's a part of being truthful and honest as well. For me, honestly, what builds trust more than perfection is when somebody makes a mistake and they own it quick and they're like, you're right. Like that builds trust where I'm like, all right, I see, like, there's, there's no hiding. They're not like covering stuff up. It's like, oh, you're right. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. That's not, not what I want. I'm like, all right, I can, I, can, I can work with that. And so even I think that builds trust is um, just the honesty when honesty doesn't happen or when it's not, when it, when it doesn't roll. And, and uh, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, questions or comments? Just random thoughts? Anybody out there? Daniel. I guess I have a question. Ooh. So, so what do you want? Question. Dealer's choice. Question. Question. And being what? Being a liar and being human. Who else? Does anybody want to answer? Anybody have thoughts? We're all, we're all sinners. Yep. We're all sinners. So we all lie. Right. There is hope. Right. All this Jesus Christ. Right. Through that we can be forgiven. True. Not on our own. Because on our own, we don't have that. But through Christ, we do have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And I think we're talking about perpetual, intentional lying. Like in a sense of, yes, we all, we all will lie, we all will sin, right? But I, what, I think what I'm referring to, personally, what I, when I refer to that was it's like someone who's like, you know you're lying, like you're in, and you're intentionally making a habit out of it. It's like, I know that I'm not being honest here, but I'm going to keep doing it. Intentionally, at a minute, and because of, like I want to manipulate a situation. Does that make sense? That's kind of what and even throughout this... Um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually pairing up two different lifestyles. Now, surprisingly to all the peasants and non-professional Christians or non-professional Jews at this point, um, he was posing the Pharisees and the person who was redeemed by the blood of Christ or was on the way to be because he was going to the cross still. Jesus is, is pairing up these two lives where if you... Don't murder somebody. You can still become a disgustingly hateful person. If you don't have uh, an affair with somebody, you can still become uh, predatorial in the way that you objectify others. If you don't divorce your spouse, you can still abandon them in a million other ways. If you aren't somebody who um, breaks your vows to God, right? But you are manipulative and deceptive, and you have this knack for, like, duality, double-tonguedness, as the New Testament calls it. Like, that's the life that Jesus says, that your righteousness has to look different than that. Because those dudes are like, the law? Innocent. And the law does not create the righteousness of God that the kingdom actually normalizes. And so what Jesus is really inviting us into is saying, hey, like, my truthfulness, which suffers um, to my own harm, to be faithful to my word, is to be the way of your life where you are determined to be a person who walks in conformity with what is true and real and honest. God really lays down the gauntlet, right? Where even in um, Genesis 15, where... Abraham and God are there, and God dedicates his faithfulness to redeeming the people of Israel and earth. And in God's vow statement, 
They slaughter the animals, basically saying, if I break my word, let it be done to me, as it has been done to this heifer. And then instead of allowing Abraham to go through, because he knew the failure, he goes through twice, right, in two different images, stating that even if you fail to hold up, I will still be true to my word of being the rescuing God. And only in in Jesus do we see that literally Jesus' body, like flesh torn open, because humanity didn't have the ability to faithfully walk out our relationship with God. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And I feel like that's, that's the power of transformation. When we allow the gift of Jesus to actually bring wholeness to us, we don't look for ways to exploit or deceive others. We allow God to be our sustenance. We lack nothing because he is our shepherd. And so for that to become the core of our wholeness, I think is the essence of what Jesus is trying to make the norm of your life and my life, where we're, we're not angling to gain. We've gained more than we deserve in Jesus. So, So I think that probably the devotional was land here, I think. Uh, the beautiful devotional element of what I want you to, to meditate on before we take communion, which celebrates Jesus' body that was broken and his blood spilled to take our place as the failed covenant vow partner. What I want you to meditate on probably tonight is this is if you were to close your eyes and imagine your soul, is it whole? Has Jesus brought your soul to life? And the second question is, Are there areas in my life that I've been seeking to gain satisfaction or filling or trying to find wholeness even to the point of being deceptive? Have I been deceptive to win approval, influence? Have I been deceptive to win financial gain? Jesus, we Thank you that your spirit is truth. And we thank you that if you're pointing on something in us, Lord, that's a place that you want to fill. And Lord, if there's areas where we've compromised truthfulness, integrity, Lord God. We just bring it to you. Like a grass stain on our jeans, we we bring it to you and go, God, will you get rid of this? 
Lord Jesus, thank you that you were broken to make us whole. We we are thankful that you emptied yourself. That you may pour yourself into us. That your life was extinguished. That our life may come back. Ignite in you. Lord, forgive us for trying to craft our way back to wholeness. God, forgive us for the ways that others have felt unloved or uncared for or misled, Lord God, by us. Lord, we are human. But you say we are holy. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would just purify our mouths, Lord God, and send us into the world, Jesus, as your light in the darkness. Lord, your word, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us, Jesus, to be a people of truthfulness, wholeness, trustworthiness, purity. Lights to the world pointing to you, Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name.